Please um, take your rest. We're living in a, a time of great anxiousness right now. I don't know if you've heard it or not, but there is a new strain of an old virus and it is sweeping the world and people have gotten to be all wrapped up about it. In fact, um, there's been billions of dollars of market capital lost over it. Uh, there are people who are losing their jobs because of it. Uh, you may not be aware of that. The industry that I'm in, I read an article just this morning that a, a company cut half of their labor force because the impact of this fear from this virus is so much, it's cut their business in half. So they laid off half their, their labor force over this virus. And um, I've always been amazed by this dynamic of human interaction. It's fascinated me since I was a teenager. I started seeing it as a teenager and, and watching people freak out about all sorts of things. And the thing that really surprises me is what people don't freak out about. And I've, I've, I've been curious about that over the years. It's like, why are they freaking out about this, but not by this? You know, how does this all, all work? What we really get upset about. And, and I, I think that I think that it's a two-pronged thing, and, and for your consideration, this is my opinion, this isn't God's word, it's just Bob's brackets, as, as I call them, uh, it's twofold. One is we most fear things that will make our life inconvenient, or that are out of our control, which normally makes it inconvenient. If we can't control it, it's inconvenient, because we're having to deal with something else. And so we really freak out about that kind of a thing. And the other thing that we freak out is about things that intersect our life that we don't necessarily see coming. So viruses, for instance, would be one of those things. You don't see it coming. Nobody walks up and has this big billboard on their side, I'm going to give you a virus, ha-ha, you know, kind of a thing. But we don't freak out about things that um, are under our control. For instance, I think there is uh, somewhere over 1,000 people, maybe nearing 2,000, have died worldwide from this particular virus, worldwide. But we don't live in the world, we just live here. Um, did you know that 40,000 people die every year in motor vehicle accidents? 40 grand. I do not hear any great rush to abolish cars in our culture. You know, because, I mean, if you think about it, 40,000 people. Well, it's like, well, you know, here's, here's the subset from, from that according to the research I did. 1,600 of them, somewhere near what this virus is claimed, are under the age of 15. I mean, we normally have a real soft spot for our kids. Well, putting your kid in a car, that's, that's dangerous. I mean, that child could die even with all the stuff that we have to strap them into now. You know, I'm of the age where my seatbelt was my mom's right arm, you know. And the dashboards were still made out of metal. I'm, I know a lot of you are you, the age you remember the metal dashboards. You know, and they upgraded them and put like a thin layer of foam over them like that was going to help it at all. You know, now they're plastic and have bags that will come explode at you. Um, well, I say, well, you know, that's cars. You know, that has nothing to do. Well, did you know that 61,000 people, according to the CDC, died of the flu last year? 61,000. So where was the freak out about that? 
It wasn't the new thing, it was the old thing. In fact, one of the things that really I found interesting is several years ago, there was an outbreak of a strain of flu called H1N1, or the swine flu. Some of you remember that. Well, it hasn't disappeared. It's been killing people ever since. It's continued on. But boy, we had the same reaction to that as what we're having right now. Just like, oh, this is going to be the end of the world and stuff. Well, it's still present. It's still doing its nefarious work. People are still dying. I actually know somebody was a teenager and was this close to having his life ended from that very strain of flu. You just you never know when that's going to happen. But we're not stopping the world because of those strains of flu, you know, because they come every year. Here's the one that I found the most interesting, and this one statistically has probably got the most argument about it, so I'm just going to let you know I understand. Whenever I do these things, I always get, like, people being snotty about it, so, but that's okay. I, I can handle it. I'm a big boy. Um, 300,000 people die from obesity in this country every year. I don't see any big nationwide effort to ban food, right? Because we like food, and we like food that we like, and we like it the way it is. It's just the way it is. Now, whether that's statistic, I mean, there's a lot of things that, that figure into that. My point is simply this. We've got lots of things to be anxious about. Lots of things that we could pick that would flip our world upside down. The passage I'm going to be teaching you specifically addresses this whole dynamic and points our life in a different direction. And I hope that uh, because we've been going through this 40 days of the word and this is the personalize it, pray it section, that this passage becomes really something that is your confession and really a prayer that you have. If you have your Bibles, if you find Philippians, the fourth chapter, read just two verses from there. I'm, I am going to ask you to help me out this week with, with these verses and respond as we uh, go through this, as we not only seek to hear from God in his, through his word, but also prepare our hearts for sharing the Lord's table today. So Philippians, the fourth chapter, it's a letter written to the church in Philippi. And we've been in, those that have been doing the devotion all week, we've been in this letter all week long. And I, I always want to just point your attention to, this letter is a letter that, that Paul writes to a church that he deeply loves. And so he's, he's going real deep with them. You know, he's, he's not surfacey with them. He's very intimate in this letter. And so the things that he's sharing in this letter are things that you would share with a really dear and trusted friend. This congregation has been very active in his, in his work for the sake of the gospel. There's been a lot of effort in their relationship. And so these things that he's sharing with them aren't like easy level stuff. This is deep level stuff. This is stuff where they have a relationship. And so as we're kind of thrown into the deep end of the pool here on Sunday morning, I just want you to realize this. The things I'm going to share with you are not glib. They're not easy. You know, they do recognize that somebody probably knows somebody who's died in a car accident. You know, we do know somebody who has died because of the complications of lifestyle choices or who has even got the flu and died from the flu. I mean, the, these, are, these are real things, and they're things that are scary. And, and I don't want to be flip, and I don't want to be glib, and I want you to know that. These are things that I understand. These are fearful things. 
But these are things that from generation to generation to generation we all have to deal with. And so what I do want to suggest and do want to offer behind the power of the Holy Spirit is there is a way to deal with these things. And I'm going to share with you some things that, that I struggle with because really um, one of my favorite stories to tell is I was with um, my kids in, in Uganda and we were doing a clean water project and, and we took this, this product that had been developed here through um, Procter & Gamble. And it's a really cool product. It's a packet about this big, and you can put it in to a 10 liters of water, or 20 liters. I think it's 20 liters of water. Don't quote me on this, but anyway. It's, it's, a, it's a big bucket of water. You can put this little packet in this big bucket of water, and you stir it around, and as you're doing just stirring it around, the impurities from that bucket of water coagulate and, and make this nasty, gooey, nasty. I just let's we'll just describe it it's nasty and it, it, it gathers together over a period of time it takes about 20 minutes and then if you take and you'll sift through that water through a cheesecloth that nasty gooey gets caught in that cheesecloth and then the water that comes out of it is is pure it's drinkable and so I was, I was doing a demonstration in a, in a local community of this and and so I, I asked one of the crowd I said here's this bucket go get me some water and so we went through the whole process. Half an hour later, you know, I, I dip I dip a empty water bottle in the water and I drink the whole thing. And so we're people were like, oh man, they were, they were like, wow, they were just amazed, you know, how I could drink this stuff that that looked like something you got out of a mud puddle, you know, in just a half an hour, and it, it was clean water. And so I said, hey, where did you get that water, by the way? And I was thinking they ran down to the local, you know, they have these taps like garden hoses. And they said, no, no, we got it out of the sewer back over here. So um, I just want to share that with you because I, I want you to know that those kind of things don't cause me anxiety. You know, I, that's, when, once you've had a big bottle of sewer water, literally 35 minutes before, it was, and I'm not talking like sewer, like running down the asphalt sewer. I'm talking about sewer, sewer water, okay? So you can let your imagination go. Germs don't bother you as much, all right? I'm still here. They just don't bother you as much. But there are other things. There are other things that really do cause me to have to work through the, the truth of this particular passage. So let's, let's work through this together. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Don't worry about what? Anything. Some of you already have a problem right away. It's like, what? This is, this is craziness. This Paul dude must have been out of his mind. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about what? Okay. So here's this right off the bat, one phrase, completely opposite. How am I going to deal with this reality? If I'm not worrying about anything and I'm praying about everything, this is going to flip my life completely upside down. Yes, you've got it. It will. Tell God what? What you need, which means that we have to understand what it is that we need. Oftentimes, we focus in on what we want, right? You know, I want to be better looking. I, I wanted to be 6'4". I love the game of basketball. I understood with, with my skill set that I was only going to make it so far unless I was four inches taller. And so I, I prayed for many years, God, make me 6'4", make me 6'4", make me 6'4". I got to six foot and pfft, that was it. 
done. And so my basketball career, pff, done, because I just don't have the physical skill set of somebody that, need, that can be my height and play at a high level. Well, that was a want, wasn't it? It wasn't a need. It was something that I wanted. I wanted to play basketball. I wanted to play it in college in front of big crowds, and it didn't work out that way. Tell God what you need. And we need to do what for what he's already done? Thank him. So we're sharing with God what we need. He already knows, but we're sharing God with what we need. We'll talk about why we do that in just a moment. But we're also thanking him for what he's already done. That reorients our whole vision, doesn't it? it starts, we start looking backwards. And because if we begin to understand what God's already done, then we get a different attitude about what is being faced in this very moment. Verse 7 is, is an incredible promise. It says, then you will experience God's what? Peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. The King James Version, I believe, says, and the peace of God which surpasses understanding. In other words, our understanding is here, and this is where that peace is. It's, it's going way over, way beyond. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So I, I want to tackle this passage in, in two sections. I want to do the my section, and I want to do the your section. Now, the my section is me, because this is personalized, it, so this is me, okay? So I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to share about me. I'm going to encourage you, but I'm going to share about me. But when I'm talking about me, I'm talking about me, like this guy right here, okay? And when I talk about your, I'm talking about God, because this is my relationship, me, Robert, with, with God. So what I want to do is lead you through a journey to where you're substituting you, sitting where you're at, one or two standing, you for me and addressing the things that are in your life. And that we all can agree that the solution really is God, who remains the same for all of us. Okay? So I'm going to talk to you about my anxiety. I don't get anxious about a whole lot, but there are some things that really flip me upside down. My work is one of them. I'm, I'm a perfectionist. I love to, uh, I was raised in a very hardworking family, and that's a generational thing. My dad's dad was extremely hardworking, so was his, so was his mom. And together, I mean, they, I remember I spent a summer with my grandparents in, in Southern California, and, and they worked 10 hours a day, six days a week. And they were in their 60s and never slowed down. I was a teenager in the prime of my life, and they wore me out. About three quarters through the summer, I mean, I kept up with them. I kept up with them because I was not going to let my grandparents outdo me. I mean, I, that was a, a personal pride. But finally, about three quarters of the way into the summer, I said, I said, Grandpa, I need a day off. And he said, we got you, didn't we? And it's like, you all, you all planned this. And I said, yeah, I just need a day off. And so I, I took a day off and then back into the grind with them. And they were just amazing. And so this work was just so driving, driving, driving. And so that's kind of ingrained in me. And so I get really wrapped up in my work. What I'm doing right now, there's, there's this thing that happens at the end of every month to where there's all sorts of pressures that have been 
throughout the month, but they all get slammed into the end of the month. So sometimes it's three days, sometimes it's four days, but all of a sudden the expectations, which are very, very high all month long, now become just crazy. And it stresses me out every month, every month. I just get so stressed, makes my stomach upset, and I get grumpy sometimes. You'll have to ask Michelle about that. You know, it's just, that's an anxiety that I have. And do you want the end of the month comes in every month. Do you realize that? So from the beginning of the month, I know that the end of the month is coming. And that kind of makes me anxious too because I can't avoid it. I can't skip over and say, okay, I'm going to take the end of the month off. This can't be done. And so that winds me up. And that's one of many things that I'm anxious about. That's the thing that's the most pressing for me right now it's the beginning of the end of the month now and I'm already thinking oh my gosh how am I going to do this at the end of the month the scripture says don't worry about anything well does anything include the end of the month yeah it does and so here the scripture is saying don't worry about the end of the month Robert don't worry about the end of the month it's like, I've got to worry about the end of the month. It's coming at the end of the month, and it's going to be crazy, and I don't know how I'm going to make it through. And every time it's by the hair on my chinny-chin-chin, and I'm not talking about this hair. I'm talking about the that I don't have. And do you know what? The only way I've been able to make it through right now, and I've told my coworkers this too, is pray about everything. And so I literally pray about the end of the month. I say something really intelligent, like, God, the end of the month is coming. And I'm stressed out because I know that I do not have the resources to perform at the level I need to perform to make it to the beginning of the month. I, I, this is not a, I'm not making this prayer up. This is a prayer I have. And the closer the end of the month comes, the more fervent that prayer becomes, the more desperate that prayer becomes. Uh, Lord, it's now the end of the month, and I have all this stuff I have to have done before the end of the month and the beginning of the next month, and God, I can't do it. There's no way that I can do it. And especially when some of my clients come up with these crazy expectations that just physically can't be done. And it's like, Lord, I can't do it. So I've got to trust that you're going to figure this out. And so I pray about this. It's you know, what is the spiritual significance about the end of the month? Let's be honest, nothing, but it's part of my life. And because God loves me, he allows himself to be interested with this thing that gives me every month anxiety. Okay, you following me? So you've got different things in your life, so we're going to stop and let you personalize it. What is it? Just pick out one thing that drives you to anxiousness or to worry. It could be any number of things. In fact, even in a crowd this size, it's going to be any number of things. So what is it that's driving you? The really cool thing is, success or not success, God has been able to allow me at the beginning of the month to give testimony to the people that I work with what he's done because I've talked to God about it. It would be really easy to just take the credit and say, yeah, I was brilliant last in the last month. Yeah, that thing I pulled off on the 31st, just got to say, that was pretty awesome. But it's allowed me to give testimony to my coworkers to, hey, this was out of my league. And so I prayed about it. I said, God, this is what I need. 
I need you to take care of this and this and this that I can't take care of. I don't have the resources to do it. And they're taken care of by God's grace. And when there's things that aren't taken care of, then it's worked through by God's grace. And I'm going to be honest with you. I get some really weird looks. I mean, even from people who claim to be Christians, when I say these things, they, they, they give me that look like, I don't think you're supposed to say that here. And mixed in with, I think that you're full of baloney. Mixed in with, what are you talking about? So if, if you can kind of imagine that look on somebody's face, I get that at the beginning of most every month. So I'm hoping that they'll get used to that and, and then I'll get the eye roll. It's like, okay, you talk about God again, you know, kind of thing. So that's my goal is to get to the eye roll and then we'll have another goal after that. So these are my asks. I mean, I ask God a lot about, about a lot of things, but this is just something that comes up with a regular basis because the calendar keeps on moving from one month to the next. And so I'm asking God about these things. Give me wisdom. Give me strength. Give me endurance. Fix this problem I can't fix. Allow me to get through this circumstance that's not get throughable. And these are my asks. And so here's, here's the challenge. The, the first three are doable. You know, recognize what I'm anxious about, what worries me. Talk to God about it. Ask him specifically for what I need. I need to get to the first of the month. But then I'm supposed to do what? I'm supposed to give thanks for what he's always, already done. And this, this, to be honest, I'm, I'm by nature a very thankful person. So personality-wise, this isn't a stretch for me personally. But I, I, I've got this other thing. I'm always looking ahead, and oftentimes I forget what's behind. Except for if it's bad. If it's bad, I seem to always remember it. But I forget the good things that is behind. And so this, this discipline of thankfulness is something that I really work hard at doing. Because I find that this thankfulness of what God's already done reduces my worry about what I'm facing and allows me to be more honest about what I'm asking. Let me just repeat that for you. The discipline of being thankful for what God has already done reduces my worry about what I'm facing and allows me to be clearer about what I'm asking. Well, how does that work? My trust in the Lord increases with each month, not just because of the current circumstance, because of many other circumstances, when I remember to be thankful because I remember about his faithfulness in the past. We talked about several weeks ago about putting things that, that are reminders of God's faithfulness. This is something that God's people have done for centuries and millennia even way back in before Jesus was even born God to do something extraordinary and they built a big mound of rocks so everybody that walked by the mound of rocks like what's this mound of rocks doing well hey there's a story behind this mound of rocks and they would tell the story about what God had done and so when I remember the things that he has done the things that I'm facing are now put into perspective of God's relationship with me 
And I can say, thank you, God, that you got me through this similar circumstance in the past. Or thank you, God, that you found a way to get me through this similar circumstance in the past. Or thank you, God, that the whole world came crashing down and I was able to stand and smile after being informed that I just drank a whole bottle full of sewer water. You know, I made it. Thank you, Lord. And so when we have this this growing pile of things that we're getting thankful to God for. And, and, and some of them can be, some of them just be really, Michelle and I both got, speaking about viruses, uh, when I was in graduate school, I was doing anything I could to feed the family because I already had kids and was married and those kinds of things. And so I cleaned houses. And one of the houses I cleaned had, had the flu, the Beijing flu, which is one of those really bad ones. I would describe it to you, but it's not suitable for Sunday morning consumption. So um, trust me, Michelle and I I, I, I got it from this place that I cleaned. I brought it home and gave it to my lovely wife, who was blessing me for the whole endurance of that, that ordeal. But what we did is we had three children under five, no family. In fact, we really didn't know anybody. We'd recently moved. And so we did hours shifts as to who laid on the bed praying that we would die before the shift was up and we had to take care of the kids again. Serious. So um, we would just kind of, she'd be on the bed or, or, you know, taking care of things from being just viciously ill for so many hours until I couldn't stand anymore and then we'd high five and then I'd do the same and we just kept on going back, going back and back. Now, I could look back on that in two different ways. Go look at it and say, how unfair that God would allow us to get the Beijing flu from something that I was doing for somebody else. And I'm angry at God. Or I can look back, which I do, because I still remember the story, and say, thank you, God. None of those three kids got hurt during that ordeal. We had nobody really to watch them, because even when one or the others of us was out there watching them, we were really thinking more about, can I die now? And I'm, I'm, not, being, I'm not being flip. It was awful, 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 awful. And, but we made it. I grew my respect for my wife, who, although she was violently ill, took care of my kids. I think her appreciation for me grew because even though I was violently ill, I took care of our kids. We're both appreciative that the kids didn't have, suffer any injury. And the really kicker here, none of them got it. So it's like, how does that work? You know, Lord, why? You know, there's a lot of why gods kind of thing. But, you know, the why gods were completely erased that none of them got it. It was amazing. I mean, we were wanting to be expired and they never got it. So I could thank God for that. And so when things happen in the in, in now and in the future, that's one of the things that I remember that happened in the past. God, you got me through that. Thank you so much for that. And so I'm going to just take another moment. I've shared with you, you know, what's your, your anxiety? You know, you, you put you there. How about what's your thanks? I could go on for the rest of the day sharing my thanks. Not because I'm an overly religious person, although some may accuse me of being such, but because I remember so much of what God has done. And I can share with you enough to literally fill, fill the rest of the day, to tell the stories, to fill the rest of the day, no problem at all. 
But I can also honestly say I've forgotten far more than that. So I'm going to just take a moment. And there's going to be an awkward silence. I'm going to challenge you. Think about what do you have to be thankful to God about? What are you thankful for? When we make a choice not to worry, we've made a choice to share God with God what we need. I have that conversation with him about everything, not just the end of the month. There's other things I talk to God about. Just the end of the month is what gives me the most, I mean, even talking about it right now, let's be honest. <laughs> My muscles hurt right up here. I mean, that's how much it gives me stress, I'm telling you. But every time I make it through and the beginning of the month happens, I think that that stress lowers and lowers and lowers because I'm learning to trust him more and more and more. And now we've got to the point of, of beginning to think, you know, how am I going to be thankful? What am I going to be thankful for? What is God doing in my life? What has he done in my life that I can say, you know, this is really stressing me out, but we can move forward. A promise comes, and this is, an, this is extraordinary all the things that I bring to God, he doesn't just fix and leave them. He replaces them with things that he gives to me. Verse 7, then you'll experience God's peace. God's peace. And we're going to go into what that, that looks like, but I just want to think about that for a second. How does our peace work out? Our peace. My peace, your peace. It's easily disturbed, isn't it? We could be peacefully watching the television, right? Brain in neutral, radiation flowing over us. Any number of things can interrupt that, right? Power goes out. My personal favorite is somebody comes and stands right in front of you, between you and the screen washing over you, and tries to have a conversation. The peaceful, neutral thing that was going on there now is no longer peaceful nor neutral. What I like to do to my dad when he was, had those rare times when he would sit and watch television is my brothers and I would wrestle. And WWE had nothing on us, Period. In fact, I think that they had hidden cameras and some of their shenanigans actually came out of my living room with my brothers. Peace is easily interrupted. How about God's peace? Do you realize that God's peace withheld the wrath that was rightfully ours so that my sin and yours could be paid completely? When all of the history of the world was being funneled into Jesus, the one and only son, the one that we just sang about, and I hope that you caught those lyrics, and that all the gross ugliness, the hateful words that we say to each other, our murders, our, our viruses, all of the just junk that is 
common to human existence is poured out on Christ that God was at peace with paying that debt? That's some peace, folks. Because I know that there are people here that have suffered incredible wrongs, unspeakable things, and that it is wound up life and put it out on the freeway and let it get destroyed. I know that. And there's no way to have peace in there. But if you can just begin to imagine a very small smidgen of that hurt, that pain, that reality that you've won in, and then multiply it by the billions of people in this world, that's God's peace to make it through there. To bury it with his one and only son in the tomb and then to sit on it and then to overcome it through the resurrection. That's some peace, folks. That's the kind of peace that I want. That's the kind of peace that says, oh, it's the 29th. Praise God. My life is going to be absolutely upside down for the next 36 hours, but God's bigger than that because I've got his peace. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. It's his wisdom. And one of the things I've learned over the past five months in particular is that the first comes after the end of the month. You're like, that's dumb. No, trust me, if you're stressed out about the end of the month, when you learn that the first comes, that's a real relief. And so I know that God is in control in a different way than I knew before. And so long as I draw breath and so long as he allows this planet to spin around in our solar system, I can trust that this is going to happen. And that's wisdom, not because I've come to some great revelation, but because I'm understanding of the goodness of God. And then I receive also his guidance. So I, I get his peace, and, I, and I'm, I'm beginning to understand the things the way he understands them. And then he begins to guide me in these days. So now I don't need to panic when the end of the month comes. Now I can actually start talking to him about the end of the month, the beginning of the month, so that his peace has an opportunity of a whole month to wash over me. Maybe there's other things in your life that, that you're, you're enduring that are just overwhelming. Maybe they're coming up and you know that they're coming up. When's the time to start talking to God about it? Now, because he can begin to guide you and, and prepare you. You know, there's, there's a psalm that oftentimes is read at funerals, and it always makes me mad when it's read at funerals because we think it's a dead person's psalm when it's really a live person's psalm. In the middle of that psalm, which is the 23rd psalm, some of you have studied it in great depth. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are, do you know what he says? You're with me. You're with me there as I walk through this valley of the shadow of death. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You are going to be my protection, my shield, my guidance. Because guess what? At the end of that, there's a table prepared in the face of what? Enemies. And I don't fear any evil. 
And that's what God's guidance does. It says, listen, you're going to go through this incredible difficult time in your life. You're going to go through this incredible period in your life. You can go through this incredible situation that is going to blow you away, but I'm going to be with you all the way through it. And on the other side, you're going to be so confident in my guidance that even if your enemies are sitting on the other side of the table, you're eating. You're eating. Because you have my protection. His peace, says at the end of verse 7, will guard your hearts and minds. His peace will guard your hearts and minds. So each month, I'm trying to allow God's peace to wrap around me so that those things that I'm naturally anxious about become less and less, have a less and less a hold over me. And I'm able to rest in him, which doesn't make any sense because the expectations are the same, folks. There's, there's all sorts of spiritual... Michelle and I went to see a movie this week and um, they're regurgitating the whole secret religion. And it's called The Secret. It's a, it's a book. And I've read the book. And the, the book is... I'm going to tell you the whole religion in like two sentences. Um, everything that happens in your life is a result of how you think. So you release this cosmic energy with your brain and your life either is swimmingly good or stinks based on your cosmic energy that's out of your brain. There's a religion. So there's a new movie coming out about that. I'm glad that's not true. I'm just so glad it's not true. I'm glad that I can rely on a God who has control of everything is not subject to my negative negativity nor obligated by my positivity to do what's right and good and best in this world. And when I get to that point, then my very thoughts are changed. Thoughts of anxiety are changed into thoughts of thanksgiving. Insurmountable problems become opportunities to walk with God through difficult circumstances. Life changes because I'm not recreating how I think, but because I'm confronting the one who gave me the privilege of thought. And I'm learning day in, day out, month in, month out, year in and year out, his thoughts, his ways, and becoming more and more confident in obeying and copying him. And that's the same offer to everyone. It's been the same offer for thousands of years from when Paul wrote this letter to a people that he deeply loved, ones that he could challenge on a very deep level, very personal level, and say, listen, this is where you need to be. And it's the very same thing that will preserve us through the novel coronavirus, which is the current panic of the day, or whatever it would be the next time. You know, there's always going to be something to be afraid of. It might be something, I know some of you are like, boy, that's just pathetic. You're pathetic. The end of the month, really? Come on. It happens every month. What you all stressed out about? Just being honest. Or it could be something much more difficult than that. I have a family of six, my mom and my dad, and two brothers and sister and me. 
50% of us have incredibly rare cancer. There are some people that would be freaked out about that. When's my turn? Come on. None of them the same cancers either. Three different cancers, all extremely rare. Now, to be honest, it doesn't stress me out a little bit, even a teeny bit. Now you all are really convinced. He's worried about the end of the month, but not worried about half his family having extremely rare cancers and when he's going to get his. And just being honest. What's stressing you out? What can you take to the Lord in prayer? What can you talk to him about and listen to him? What can you be thankful for? Will you receive the peace that will blow away your understanding? That will allow you to endure this particular stage of life, whatever it is. Maybe you're in a great stage of life. Great, you've got tons to be thankful for. And move on to the next thing that God has in store for you. I'm going to teach you just a little bit more, but we're going to move into a time of, of preparation for the Lord's table. So I'm going to pray over it, and I'm going to just encourage you as you know, people are moving around to really consider what I said just a few minutes before. All the ugliness of the world was poured out on Jesus Christ. All of it. Every mass murder, every rape, every child beat, every ugly word said, every intentional harm emotionally, physically, all of it poured out on him. And the God that we've come to worship today withheld right anger and instead gave incredible love. And he's inviting you to receive that. If you've never received it, now's your time. And if you have received it, here's your sign. You have something to be incredibly thankful for. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being able to share your word. Thank you that you indeed paid it all. God, thank you that to you all is owed. God, that you don't demand it as a creditor would demand repayment, but that you offer that grace in ways that's just hard to wrap my mind around, even to describe it. I thank you that you've done it so just freely and openly. And I ask that your peace that would just surpass understanding in this group today. God, all the things that people brought, whether it be really heavy or really light, would be able to just be laid down over the next few moments. And Lord, that your people would receive your grace as we celebrate the table that your son gave to us. There's going to be deacons here in the front that will receive you. And so when you're ready, I'm going to ask you to come and receive from them. There'll also be one in the back. If you're just, you need to kind of get somebody closer, they'll be in the back. But spend a few moments on preparing your heart, then come and get the elements, and then we'll take them together. So please hold on to them.